rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Thursday, Gamecock fans. J.C. Sherbert here with you inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, thank you uh, for being patient today. I had some uh, business-related errands to run this morning that threw me off, so I don't have it bright and sunny. Um, I, I want to go through uh, this podcast today. I'll tell you, this is probably going to be the last one of the week, barring uh, some emergency pod. You never know. Um, going to kind of take the long weekend and uh, – enjoy some football, hang out. Uh, obviously when the season gets here five, six days, times a week, you'll have this, but, uh, going to enjoy some other teams besides the Gamecocks playing. So I don't have to worry about you good people that are members of the big spur.com, uh, you know, trashing the message boards <laughs> after something goes wrong or anything like that. It should be a uh, worry-free weekend. I know most of you are excited about the power five teams getting underway tonight. Miami and UAB, um, looking forward to watching that one. You know, UAB is a very solid, well-coached team. Uh, I can't say that about Miami last year. Uh, I've talked about the disaster that Manny Diaz was in his first season. Uh, and i got respect for Manny Diaz. You know, I've known people that have coached with him, uh, all that good stuff. But, man, you can't lose to Georgia Tech when they stink as bad as they did last year. Uh, and Miami did. You can't lose to FIU under any circumstances, and Miami did. Uh, you, you shouldn't lose at Duke late in the year, and Miami did. And then you certainly should never get shut out in a bowl by a, a Conference USA team in Louisiana Tech. Hats off to Skip Holtz, by the way, uh, but they did. Uh, so they went and finally divorced themselves of the uh, pro-style offense they've had to tried to run since the 90s. Uh, and uh, – they're going tempo. They're going Rhett Lashley ball. Uh, Gus Malzahn meets Sonny Dykes. They got a transfer quarterback from Houston in there. Uh, De'Eric King, who's certainly talented. Uh, probably not, you know, my favorite player simply because I thought he kind of walked out on his teammates last year. And there was that weirdness about red shirting and whole Holgerson and all that. But, you know, kids got a fresh start down in Coral Gables and, they play a team in UAB that's, uh, you know, it's a tough, tough, tough out sometimes. So we'll see kind of what happens tonight, but looking forward to that. Of course, the ACC this weekend, Clemson has the primetime slot uh, at, uh, uh, I guess it's called Truist Stadium now. It used to be Groves Field up in Winston-Salem um, in front of no fans uh, and apparently some Marvin Gaye. I mean, I don't, I don't even – that's going to be a bizarre deal. Sean McDonough is on the call, so I'll probably want to listen to it. But, uh, you know, Clemson's a 33-point favorite, you know, Wake Forest. Um, I don't know if they'll cover that maybe in the first half. I'm not sure. Uh, so, so that's a good one. You know, Florida State, Georgia Tech, to me, is the probably the most intriguing uh, matchup in the ACC tomorrow. Uh, that North Carolina-Syracuse. Syracuse has had some guys opt out in recent days, but – that offensive system at Syracuse can be problematic. Um, and, and I expect Syracuse to go in there and, and, and hopefully give them a game um, is my – and I say hopefully because I've kind of thought Syracuse would cover the 20 and a half. Um, and that – and, you know, Florida State's only given Georgia Tech 12 and a half. Georgia Tech, uh, if you remember, you know, they, they, they have a, a pretty good recruiting class. You know, wasn't ranked – all that high, but there's some players in there that can make a difference for them uh, as they continue to rehaul their overhaul, their roster. You know, I thought last year as the season went on, they were more competitive than I expected. I I mentioned they did beat Miami, which was embarrassing for Miami and they beat NC state. Not surprised by that, but uh, you know, tech, you know, Florida state's had some, some issues and it's Mike Norvell's first game. So that's a, that's probably the most intriguing game of the day. Duke Notre Dame, uh, Chase Bryce, former Clemson quarterback, will start for Duke. That's intriguing in, in a little bit of a way to me, um, although I think the Irish will, will probably roll. David Cutcliffe, though, opening game, you know, you, you never know what he's got in store. Uh, he's sort of one of those mad geniuses. Um, so, big weekend of football. The NFL gets started tonight with the, the Chiefs and the Texans. 
Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. So that, that should be a good matchup. And uh, anyway, kind of went through all that just to explain to you guys what, what my plan is <laughs> in terms of the weekend. I'm going to kind of kick back and, uh, you know, watch the, the games and then get all the intel I can from this weekend scrimmages and all that good stuff and bring it right back to you right here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, also on the bigspur.com. Uh, the topic of the day, and before I get to that, I want to thank everybody for uh, the five-star ratings and, and all of, of those good things that you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts. We continue to get more of those. The goal is 1,000. I think we're you know 225, something like that right now. So uh, we have more than 1,000 listeners, so I'm hopeful that we continue to, to do that. I, I really want to let you know I appreciate it. Um, because that helps make this podcast really, really good, gets it to more people. Almost every day I get an email or something that says, hey, I just found the podcast. Well, this helps other people find the podcast with the rankings in Apple and all that. And we are the number one ranked Gamecock-only podcast, according to Apple Pods. Uh, At least we were the rankings on September 2nd. I haven't checked the others yet. But um, anyway, that's because of you guys. I mean, I just sit here and talk. And occasionally I'll have a guest <laughs> and that's, that's just about it. So I, I really appreciate uh, everything you guys uh, have done to help me out with this uh, venture and uh, all that. Also, thank you for joining the big Some of you have, uh, we're running a special, I think it's still on today, two months for a dollar. Can't beat that. It's 50 cents a month. Um, 25 cents biweekly. <laughs> so uh, that's cheap. Uh, to join up today where you get great inside info. You get to interact with me on the message board all day. Uh, guys like Tony Morrell, Hill McGranahan, John Whittle, Kerry Rich, John Del Bianco, um, you know, guys that are insiders that are around the program that uh, love talking Gamecock sports and even off topic conversations. Um, I hope some of you got a chance to look at the big Gamecock statue. Uh, that's obviously being put up. That's been quite a topic of conversation around Gamecock land for many, many years. Uh, Just looking at it, it, it's kind of, um, it it surprised me a little bit because I I didn't expect it to be the size that it is. And I have to be careful with, you know, you're talking about Gamecocks, Cox, innuendos, you know, you got to be careful when you talk about this, all that, you know, somebody can splice that up and, 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 you know, make you know make my life hard or whatever oh god i shouldn't have said that either um so let's just move on um it's a gigantic statue uh it's almost freakishly freakishly big um you know and i didn't realize that until i saw the picture of a human as a human being standing next to it it's like the dinosaur it's like a dinosaur like a t-rex or something um I'm not really doing a good job of the things you could really cut a splice up or whatever. Anyway, I hope I didn't give you any ideas. Um, go check that out. It's, it's on our website, the uh, It's also up on Gamecocks online. Um, for those of the, those of you out there, and, and I'm not necessarily one of them, but you know, there, there's people that are like, you know, fired up about it. that have been waiting on this for a couple of years. Ray Tanner gets asked about it every single time he goes in front of the media. It's finally there. Hey, they put it on a truck and it's being constructed right now hot in front of Williams Bryce. So it'll be there uh, loud and proud uh, before the first game against Tennessee here in a couple of weeks. Um, speaking of Tennessee. So I, I, we have a Vol fan on our message board and took exception to this. And I think the folks on go Vols 24 seven sort of made fun of me. I made the comment yesterday that I think roster wise, South Carolina and Tennessee right now are pretty much even. Uh, I don't know if it's going to continue to trend that way just because Tennessee's continuing to recruit at a really high level. Um, and then they did that under Butch Jones. And a lot of those guys didn't pan out, but I think Jeremy Pruitt's a better evaluator uh, than Butch Jones. And I think quite frankly, they, they had a culture issue uh, under Butch that they don't really have anymore. I think that the turnaround last year solved that. But, but I just look talent for talent, and I just don't see that Tennessee's got this overwhelming advantage. Um, you want to say maybe they got a coaching advantage because of what happened last year. That, that's fine. You know, I think Pruitt's a good coach. Um, but but I, I, don't, 
I just don't. I mean, keep in mind, Will Muschamp's seven and one in his life against Tennessee. Uh, I, I just, I just don't know that. You know, I, I think that because they're recruiting in the top five right now, top five or six, the, 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 the um, uh, you know, the, the feeling is, oh, well, their roster is really good. But you have to keep in mind, none of those guys are on campus. It's just like North Carolina, you know, great recruiting class this year for sure. Uh, it's going to give that program a boost. But only one of those guys opted out and came to school early. Tony Grimes, the five-star corner. So North Carolina's not there yet. There's still kind of Larry Fedora's players that are left over. And, you know, with Jeremy Pruitt, he's he's recruited well. Um, but, but not to the point where, you know – they're vastly superior to the Gamecocks. I mean, I'd give Florida a roster advantage just because Florida has an immense amount of speed and skill every year, no matter who the coach is. Um, you know, sometimes that's just on defense. Sometimes it's on offense. And you look at what Mullen's done, and he's got some guys that McElwain recruited that are really, really good players. Um, and Kyle Trask, a McElwain recruits, one of the best quarterbacks in, in the league, South Carolina still got a quarterback battle. So, yeah, of course you'd say Florida has a roster advantage. I'm just not sold on that being Tennessee right now. Um, but we'll see. And uh, if you're a Vol fan and you're listening to this, don't, get, don't be mad at me. I'm not, I'm not hating on your roster. I, I just think, you know, neither team is going into that game here in 16 days with overwhelming talent against the other. I, I just, you know, you look at the matchups, I think – you know, Tennessee O-line versus the Gamecock D-line, I'd probably give them the advantage to Tennessee's O-line, but the Gamecock D-line is going to be pretty doggone good. You know, Carolina O-line versus Tennessee D-line, Tennessee's got some players on their D-line. Um, I'd give the advantage to Carolina's O-line, but Tennessee's, you know, pretty doggone good. You know, Tennessee's got a good bunch of linebackers, so does South Carolina, especially when Ernest Jones gets back. Um, both schools have a tremendous amount of talent in the secondary. Um, I think at running back outside of Eric Gray, you know, it's a question mark for Tennessee. Uh, South Carolina, you know, obviously they're trying to find a feature back. Is it going to be Fenwick? Is it going to be White? All that. So I'd probably say Tennessee's probably better shape at running back. You know, Garantano, is he going to be better than ultimately the guy that South Carolina decides on? I don't know. I can't say that. I would lean that way because, you know, you want to go into an opener like, clinging to knowns, you know, Tennessee's got a good return game. South Carolina now has a left-footed punter. So how's that going to impact the game? There's just all these things there. And, I, I, you know, so just looking at the talent, I think the talent's pretty much even. I think, you know, one side may have an advantage at one spot over the other, but um, it goes back and forth. Um, so so let's, let's stop with the, the Tennessee's, this immensely talented better than Carolina talent-wise kind of deal. It's it's not. Now, they keep rolling up top five classes. Yeah, sooner or later, that's going to that's gonna catch up. You know, <laughs> you're going to end up being, oh, they're, they're, they're better players. But right now, you know, I don't, I don't see that they have this great advantage. I mean, I, I think, you know, they're starting, they're trying to count on Jalen Hyatt at wide receiver. Is he going to be ready to go play an SEC game? Um, more freshmen. They do have one guy back. I mean, you know, Marquez Calloway and Juwan Jennings uh, were studs. You know, you're just going to replace those guys in time. First game, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think South Carolina probably has more answers at receiver in terms of guys that have played through a season and aren't, you know, green freshmen than, uh, than Tennessee does. So we'll see what happens. You know, the, the Vols are a field goal favorite for a reason, so they, they probably do have a slight event. And they also have more momentum as a program. They ended last year on a six-game win streak. We know how Carolina's year ended. So um, we'll see kind of what happens here in 16 days. But I, I, I do want to say that this is not – if South Carolina wins this game, I, I, do, I will not consider it a gigantic upset. I'll consider it something super positive for the program and something that was needed, but it's not going to be a shocker. And you're probably going to hear that word. Oh, shocker. Well, why? I mean, Tennessee's won in Columbia one time uh, since 2006. And that was a miracle, <laughs> you know, and, and probably, probably the most shocking loss of the Steve Spurrier, maybe the most shocking loss. I've seen Carolina blow in a while. 
you know, that and the Florida game in 2018 were probably the two biggest shockers where you're feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> of course, there were a lot of games like that in 2014. We don't need to relive that season. Um, I want to say this too. It, it, I, I want to, uh, I see a lot of, of talk uh, on the message boards and elsewhere, especially Facebook. My God. Uh, some of the folks on Facebook, bless their hearts, they, they don't really know. Um, and so they just kind of look at things that don't matter. And so, so I, and I've said this before, what does not matter? Here's what does not matter. That Colin Hill played at a Mountain West school. That Adam Prentice played at a Mountain West school. That Jalen Brooks came from Wingate. That does not matter. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter that Nick Muse played at William and Mary. That, that does not matter. Um, if you know a little bit about junior college football, you know, there are players that go to JUCO that are really, really talented um, and that, that end up making their way back to D1 and, and they're stud recruits. You know, Javon Kinlaw was one. Uh, you know, Dante Sawyer came out of JUCO. Uh, Dennis Daly. Game guys got jazzed in turn time. But on those rosters, they don't, they don't go play 11 studs on 11 studs. Uh, they play – you know, studs, but then the rest of their rosters are made up of like in-state guys, like in Kansas, they have rules where they can only take so many out-of-state players, Mississippi, Iowa, uh, California. So, you know, there's really no difference. I mean, if a Juco team went and played Wingate, I'm not so sure Wingate doesn't beat them by two or three touchdowns just because when you're talking about teams and level of competition, that's different than individual talent. So to me, especially when you consider the Mountain West, every team in the Mountain West would light a Juco on fire. Like, you know, it's just like getting a Juco quarterback or a Juco fullback. Probably better in the case of of Hill and Prentice. And with Brooks, same thing. I mean, you have to kind of get away from this this deal. And, you know – so LSU is taking two guys out of FCS transfer wise kid from nickel state, really good player. And then the linebacker from North Dakota state, everybody watches North Dakota state on TV though. So they got to see the linebacker and he is a stud and he, he's probably going to do some big things at LSU this year. Um, and the kid from nickel state was defensive player of the year, I think in, in their league. Um, and, and you know, Brooks doesn't come in with the accolades. Muse didn't come in with the accolades, but you know, does, that doesn't mean those guys aren't going to be able to adapt and play. And to me, it's a positive thing that you look that way because you're being resourceful. And, and being resourceful is very, very important, I think, when you're, when you're South Carolina, you're trying to patch holes on a roster or whatever. So, you know, that, that's something that doesn't matter. Um, that doesn't matter. Uh, the fact that Ryan Holinsky was an Elite 11 quarterback and a five, four or five-star guy, that does not matter right now either. You know, the fact that, you know, certain guys were three stars, like Ernest Jones, um, you know, was a three star. Oh, so he's not that good. And the linebackers aren't that good because they, there's no four star. That doesn't matter. Um, and, and I can buy in to the star rating thing more than I can the, oh, he came from Wingate thing. Um, it, it, what matters is this, you know, and, and it doesn't matter that DeCarrie and Joyner and Luke Doty were once quarterbacks as far as receiver goes. What matters is this, how good can Jalen Brooks be for this football team and can he help them win games? If Colin Hill is the starting quarterback, is he good enough for them to go win games and make plays and run the offense and not turn it over and, uh, you know, find the open guy, run, you know, all that kind of lead the team. That's what matters. Okay. Same with Ryan Holinsky. Whatever he did in high school or even last year, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Okay. Um, you know, what matters is can Adam Prentice block and be the, you know, the type of player he was in the Mountain West in the SEC? That's what matters. Okay. Will it happen? Not where do they come from? And I think in general, sometimes this fan base does have a little bit of, oh, where did they come from? Uh, about them and you see it in coaching changes you know oh, i don't want somebody from that low level or oh, i don't want this that and the other and i understand that with coaching because quite frankly uh, they've they've taken over the years in the major sports that when they've hired the guys from the lower level uh it hadn't worked out 
you know, think about the most successful basketball coaches they've had since McGuire. Um, they did, they hired Bill Foster. That didn't work out, but he was the head coach at Duke. So you, you go, oh, well, George Felton was an assistant at Georgia tech. Uh, he did well, but we saw what happened there. Then, okay, we, we come to a, a mid-major hire, Steve Newton, one of the worst, most catastrophic hires in a major sport in Carolina history. So then for years, no more mid-majors. So you go Eddie Fogler from Vandy. You go Dave Odom from Wake, which, you know, Dave Odom had his chances to be much better than he was, but he was okay. Uh, and then, okay, time to hire a mid-major again. It's Darren Horn. And after one year, it, it, it got worse and worse and worse and sent the whole program into a 10-year tailspin. Oh, so then you get the other guy, you know, Frank Martin, Kansas State. Ah, you got a guy from somewhere else, comparable. He leads you to the Final Four and has not had a losing season in five years, which is good by comparison. Now, you know, we can talk about Frank and do they need to go to the NCAA tournament or, or whatever. Yeah, but um, – you know, that's a good hire. I don't think you hire a guy that takes you to a final four, even if it's, you know, a flash in the pan kind of thing. Ultimately, that's a good hire. You know, you don't, you're not going to look back on it and go, ah, shouldn't have gone that direction, you know. Um, and so in basketball, Carolina, the two times they've gone mid-major, they've gotten burned tremendously. You know, and other than that, they've, they've gone the, you know, the, the lateral move route where they've gotten – you know, a, a guy that wanted out from their current situation or, or you know, something like that. And so uh, I understand that where you come from matters. I mean, you look at baseball, you know, you, 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 you know, you, baseball is different because you got Bobby Richardson, June Reigns, and then Ray Tanner, obviously, you know, best coach in program history. Um, and they've had some good ones. Bobby Richardson was really good. So was June Reigns. Uh, Tanner came from NC State. So he wasn't a mid-major guy. Holbrook did not get it done. He was an assistant. Uh, and there's questions about Kingston. He came from South Florida, which is, you know, a, a group of five kind of level team. Um, you know, and, and so you want to go back and wind it to football. Well, <laughs> the most successful head coaches in, in South Carolina with football got it done elsewhere. You can go all the way back to, uh, I guess the one mid-major guy that worked out was Joe Morrison because he was at New Mexico. Uh, so you took him from the WAC. I think it would have been the WAC back then. Um, and so he worked out. Uh, other than that, Sparky Woods, App State, did not work out. Brad Scott was an assistant, a big-time assistant, did not work out. You know, Then you had Lou Holt, Steve Spurrier, and now Will Muschamp. So I understand – I said all that to say this. I understand the fan base, you know, probably because of coaching changes and getting burned that – you're like, well, you know, it's, 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 you know, you don't want that. But when you're talking about players and football players, it's a little different. And I'll also say this, you know, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, and, you know, I think people are still kind of getting used to Will Muschamp. They were not like what you would call resourceful. You know, Spurrier had a kind of an aversion to taking transfers at all. Obviously, Will Muschamp does not have that philosophy. Um, Lou Holtz took a lot of junior college guys, but regular old transfers, no. Um, so I get it. You know, Spurrier flat out did not want to take transfers um, and really didn't like JUCOs all that much either. And that was his philosophy. He's a Hall of Famer, so why why complain? Uh, this is a different philosophy, though, and, and, and they're going to evaluate guys, and if they feel they can help them um, – they're going to get them. And, and so I think what I would focus on uh, if I were a fan is are that, what are, are they really going to help? And you can have opinions as to why they will or will not, but you know, and, and maybe some Clemson fans are making fun of the fact you got a receiver from Wingate or whatever. Fine. Let them do it. You know, one, one of their best players instrumental in their run was a walk on that didn't have a scholarship offer Hunter Renfro. Okay, don't, don't don't let Clemson people say it's all about the star rating and the hype coming in because it's not all the time. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. Focus on what matters. And look, if these guys don't work out, you know, if Colin Hill starts and he's awful or if, you know, Prentice can't block or if, you know, Muse has a, 
as a mediocre year and, and isn't as good as we thought. And, you know, you, you go through that and then Brooks, you know, can't catch a cold and, and looks sl- like, yeah, I'm fine. Then, 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 then you say, oh, okay, well, they probably, that's the stretch to get these guys. All right. So I've got that out of the way. And I, and I don't mean to sound preachy. I'm just, you know, I'm hearing that more and more from Gamecock land and I just, I don't understand it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, to me, you want to be concerned, be concerned that a running back hadn't stepped up and taken the job yet. Uh, although I do think Fenwick's going to be better, you know, you'd like to have one guy get some separation and be the clear starter and sort of the guy you can count on. Um, you, you want to be concerned about something, I'd, I'd be concerned about, uh, again, depth on the defensive line uh, in terms of, you know, guys like Pickens and Sandage, you know, how much are they going to play versus the other guys and how undersized – how will being undersized impact the Gamecocks on the interior uh, if it's Thomas and Ellis a lot? You know, the, to me, uh, will Ernest Jones get back, you know, and be ready to roll? Um, how about Jamar Brown? Is he going to be back? Th- those are the things I'm concerned about. I mean, I, I, I would and, – and, and really, you know, you can be concerned about the receivers as a whole because they're unproven, but – you know, from my standpoint, I, I feel better about that position than I did. It's less of a concern. So, you know, that's my take on all that. So we'll see, see how everything happens. But like I said, not trying to get preachy. Just uh, I just keep hearing Colorado State and Wingate and ha ha ha. You know, and I'm like, come on, man. That that, that does that, that stuff does not matter. What matters is, you know, how they play, um, and then judge it. Uh, just like recruiting, you know, don't, you know, do you not want Ernest Jones now because he was a three star? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how about Israel McLamu? You, you don't want him because he was a three, uh, or Jamie Robinson? He was the three star. Don't want JJ Enigbare because he wasn't a high enough four. I don't, you know, come on, man, come on. So anyway. Uh, that's uh, that's the deal with that. Uh, quick note about Jordan Birch. I keep saying I don't think he's going to beat out Inigbare. And I wow, Alexa just came on. That's amazing. Um, I keep saying I, I think he's you know not going to beat out Inigbare. I stand by that. Um, but just because you haven't heard a lot about him doesn't mean they don't have you know big plans for him. Now, I, I did hear on that SEC podcast, which I highly recommend, the other day, they took Mike Peterson's comments and said, ah, if Birch is starting, he's going he's gonna to impact that defense and make it better. And I mean, I, I think Jordan Birch and his high, you know, approaching his ceiling definitely does that, but I just don't think there's enough time to get him approaching his ceiling. Uh, I do think he's going to play a lot. I do think he's going to make an impact. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to start. I don't think he's going to beat out. As long as Enigbare is healthy, uh, he's playing it, you know, let's just say the lights come on for him. And I've always thought he had special tendencies and capabilities. And, and I think, you know, this is, this is his breakout year. Um, if he plays up to his potential, he's, you know, it seems like every time he gets some momentum going, he gets hurt or whatever, but, they're fired up about him. They're fired up about Brad Johnson at the Sam linebacker position. So that kind of, that kind of whatever side of the defense, uh, they're pretty fired up about. So we'll see what happens. But I, I don't want to downplay Jordan Birch uh, going out there and doing some really special things this year because I do think that could happen too. Um, don't get down on that guy just because he's not starting or he's behind a really good player in J.J. and Ignore. All right, it's mailbag time, and I appreciate the mailbag questions so much. So much. Um, all right, got some, um, got some mailbag, excuse me, off the Twitter. And uh, that's, you know, tweet at the Big Spur Pod. And go follow at the Big Spur Pod, if you don't mind. That's our that's our big that's our inside the Gamecocks Twitter account, the Big Spur Pod, because we are technically affiliated with the BigSpur.com. You don't have to be a member of the Big Spur to listen, though, so that's good. Uh, Joe tweets out: Given the uncertainty in the running back room, how do you feel about Kitchen's ability to get the best from the group? Glad to have an experienced coach working with our inexperienced running backs. I agree. You look at what Des Kitching did at NC State; they always had. 
you know, kind of the unsung, unsung heroes at running back. Uh, but they always had two or three that they rotated in, um, you know, and, and I'll go back to at Vandy uh, when Zach Stacy just sort of came out of nowhere and became the guy when Kitchings was coaching up there. So he has experience uh, getting the best out of his athletes. Um, and I have no doubt, of course, if Bobby Bentley were coaching running backs, Thomas Brown, I would feel the same way. I, I don't think the coaching of the running backs um, has been an issue. I, I think the biggest issue has been injuries in that room since Muschamp's been there. And again, this year, the biggest issue in that room is the number one guy's hurt ACL out for the year. So you could say that for the fifth straight year, injuries are an issue, you know, and then you got white, the other newcomer, the number one Juco back in the country who's missed significant time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's brutal. But, um, I, I think Kitchings will get it out of them. I also think that, you know, Kitchings has experience with like multiple running back offenses and, and it can get them in and out provided they're all healthy. Um, you know, but Thomas Brown could too. And so could Bobby Bentley, you know, people complain about the running back rotation. Um, <laughs> that was usually, uh, you know, with very few exceptions, a, a case where a guy got hurt or took himself out, you know, I mean, they're, they're Bobby Bentley and Thomas Brown were not dumb. You know, they're not sitting there like, Oh, let's just, let's take this cat out. You know, he's, he's raised, you know, on fire right now. Let's just, let's just take this guy. No, come um. So there's your answer there. I have faith in Des Kitchings. I, I I hope lots of guys step up. Lots of guys step up. Um. All right. So going back to the email inside the Gamecocks at gmail dot com. Doctor Bob, Doctor Rob, Doctor Bob. Um emails in this time he usually tweets thanks for the uh question on the email jc first off thanks you do you definitely have the best game cop podcast out there i'd say i have one of them you know we're getting there appreciate the kind words i followed you on this podcast and the last game cop podcast you were on yep that was a good one too um you have often spoken on the blueprint needed to raise usc back up to the top of the east mine d-line heaven win some big time recruiting battles recruit some elite quarterback talent stock the offensive line with uh, real SEC dudes and make great evaluations at the skill position, including mining the overlooked guys in South Carolina and getting some balance back Juco South Carolina kids from the outside. Looks like Muschamp has done all of this, and this is the first year his roster reflects that approach. It also looks to me like this is the first year he has a complete SEC-level roster across the board at all positions. I love the D-line depth, the O-line depth, and the quarterback group. Has the staff made enough good evaluations and skill positions and found enough diamonds in the rough to take the program to the next level over the next two years? Thanks for all you do. That's to be determined. And, and I'll say this, Muschamp's followed that plan, you know, pretty well. And they have won some big-time recruiting battles, and they've gotten some D-line talent, not just out of D-line heaven. They've gone into Georgia and gotten some kids and Tennessee with Joe Anderson and um, – all that, but there's a lot of dudes uh, on the D line in North and South Carolina, and they've done that. Um, o line, uh, they 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 recruit on the O line to a specification, uh, and Eric Wolford did this when he got back. He's taking guys that are athletic enough to play D line on the O line, uh, and if you're not athletic and you can't move, he doesn't want you. And so I think that's smart because. You know, sometimes I've seen SEC schools recruit kind of in a traditional manner on the offensive line. You know, you take the guy that's a really good guard, but he can't move his feet, you know, and and he starts – he gets to college and, you know, the battles are much tougher because you're going against the best D-lines in the country week in and week out, and he just gets overwhelmed. And that happens at lots of schools around the league. I mean, you know, uh, Kentucky has – is very fortunate – that they're kind of up there in O-line heaven <laughs> and they have a good unit and, and they do kind of do the same thing. You know, A&M state of Texas has more good O-linemen than, you know, other places, Georgia, uh, you know, had that O-line last year because of Sam Pittman and they, and they finally took the good. But think about, think about the years Georgia has had greatness uh, all over the field, but their O-line stunk. 
You know, LSU's done that before. Greatness all over the field, but the O-line gets overwhelmed. I mean, in the SEC, it happens. Florida still doesn't have a good O-line. And so that's what Wolford's doing. He's recruiting to a specification. You know, it's almost like a system that he's recruiting to. I think we're going to really see this year if that works out or not. Um, and and I, I'm not – I have a feeling it's going to because I, I think if you look individually – you know, Javon Gwynn did some great things first year as a starter. Um, obviously, Eric Douglas has come a long way at center. Sidarius so Hutcherson uh, is, is, could be an all-SEC guy. Uh, you know, it was good to hear that the left tackle is a battle. Now, some of the sophomores have stepped up, and then right tackle will be Dylan Wanham if he's not at left. Uh, and he, you know, freshman All-American. So, you, you do have on paper – individually a, a unit that could be quite good. And, and, and I think that when you look at the recruiting, you look at them going and getting guys like Trey Jones and Vershawn Lee in the last class, that athleticism is still something they value a whole lot. And it makes sense. It makes logical sense. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. He's like, why does South Carolina go to Miami sometimes and recruit offensive linemen? I'm like, because they're athletes. Uh, and they go get guys that, that are athletic. You know, Northern Virginia, Miami, Georgia, state of South Carolina. So, uh, you know, we'll see there. Um, you know, the, the, the skill positions and diamonds in the rough, that's – time's going to tell on that. And, and I – you know, maybe I'm crazy and I'm just checking – I'm checking the boxes, though. You know, when you look at the receivers, can they run? Can they make people miss in the open field? Can they catch, you know – are they athletic enough? And there were some guys, quite frankly, in the room that probably did not fit that mold. But you look at it, and, and I said this yesterday, Josh Van is seventh. He was third last year. He was the number three guy. You know, so obviously in practice, some of those guys have passed him. Joe Cox, you got a new receiver. Uh, I mean, sorry, new receivers coach. Uh you know, hopefully they worked a lot on catching, completing the catch this year, not dropping the ball. Um, you know, so time will tell. I mean, you know, time will tell if Deshaun Fenwick can, you know, get out there and be the running back this year or Zaquandre White or whoever. Um, I don't think they're too far off roster-wise. Um, you know, that you're not going to necessarily win the East uh, if you have a great quarterback and you're good on both lines of scrimmage. But you're sure as hell not going to win the East if you don't. Uh, and so South Carolina's kind of moving that way. Now, this year with an all-SEC schedule and players missing time because of COVID here, there, and, you know, who knows what will happen. I mean, you know, Carolina could, you know, start 2-0 and and then have a COVID issue and go to Vandy and lose, you know, and it's nobody's fault. You know, they're just missing a third of their roster. Um, and that's what's important. Uh, that's what that's what's unfortunate. But if any coach on earth can deal with players being out <laughs> at this point, it has to be Will Muschamp. And and, and frankly, kind of what he's been doing with getting everybody ready. It's I think that's that's smart. Um, just because you never know. And so if anybody can deal with the situation, because he's had his share of guys being out, piecing it together, it's Will Muschamp. So we'll see what happens. But Dr. Dr. Bob, Dr. Rob, uh, tell me next time you, you hit me up. Is it Dr. Bob or Dr. Rob? Uh, let me know uh, kind of uh, which one to call you there, but I certainly appreciate the question. Daryl, JC, enjoying the podcast. Keep up the good work. From a national ranking perspective, what would be an improvement or goal for the offense last year? Last year, total offense ranked 96, rushing 82nd, passing was 74. I think total offense in the top 50, a reasonable goal, agree or disagree. Yes. And I would, I would like for that rushing to, I, I just, without Marshawn Lloyd, I don't know that it's, but I would hope they could piece a run game together. And that's the key. South Carolina has not been able to run the ball consistently. You know, last year's team, when they could run it, actually did run it well, probably better than the other three Muschamp has had. But then there were games that couldn't go anywhere. Um, so I, you know, I, I think South Carolina, if you look, everybody always talks about the identity 
on offense and that there's no identity. Well, there has been an identity, but it's been not been good, not one you want. It's been a pass-happy, non-physical, somewhat soft, pass-oriented attack under Kurt Roper and Brian McClendon for four years. And uh, it was a team that last year could run it in spurts, but if they weren't doing it, it wouldn't do it. So that's, that's so important, too, is being able to line up and run it. And uh, with the offensive line they have, they should be able to do it. you got to get some backs to step up. Um, you know, and, and then the passing attack, I'm, I'm a little more encouraged by it than maybe I was. But, yeah, I think having a top 50 offense, if the defense improves like we think, uh, you know, South Carolina could win a lot of games. Um, so I, I think that's a definitely a reasonable goal. And not only do they need to get there, Daryl, they need to start staying there. I mean, this whole thing where Muschamp's offenses are ranked towards 100 in the nation every year, that gets old, and that, that follows him around like a, like a scarlet letter. Um, and he, he needs some offense to work for him. Um, I almost feel sorry for him at times uh, with the bad offense he's had to watch during his coaching career. But, you know, he's got a guy that's certainly experienced that's, that's got a proven track record. So we'll see kind of how that goes. I, I do think top 50 is realistic. Um, and maybe not. It may be a complete dumpster fire because what if the receivers aren't all that good and can't play dead in the movie and you can't go anywhere at running back? It doesn't matter what your line's like or who your quarterback is at that point. So, But uh, the hope the hope is that the offense uh, can get to that level. Thanks for the email. Um, email uh, David or Daryl. Gosh, I deleted your email and then forgot your name. I have a bad short-term memory. Uh, Jeremy says mailbag swag. There we go. Two questions. If the Gamecocks beat Tennessee by two touchdowns, will, will it be a positive to Mike Bobo as a coordinator or a negative to Pruitt as a head coach? In turn, would that give us some more media momentum? I think, I think, you know, as far as who gets the credit for it, you know, let's say the Gamecocks go out there and light up the scoreboard. They're going to mention Mike Bobo, but it's going to be about Will Muschamp. I mean, and I'm sure they'll mention that Will Muschamp, if he beats Tennessee, will be 8-1 and one all time against Tennessee. Uh, and the Gamecocks will have won four out of five in the series. But, yeah, I think right now everybody looks at last year and how it ended for the Vols. Um, I think for 13 years people have been sitting around saying every other year that this is Tennessee's time to come back. Uh, they said it under Butch Jones. I uh, don't know if they said it under Derek Dooley too much. Um, they did say it under Lane Kiffin. You know, Tennessee's going to be back. Tennessee's going to be back. And then something inevitably happens and it, it doesn't work out. Um, I think that would give you some media momentum because then you're heading to the swamp the next week. I think to get to relevance, um, win the first two. You win the first two, that's two. That's the two SEC East media darlings everybody's talking about knocking off Georgia or whatever. You win the first two, you become a disruptive fly in the ointment. Uh, and, and look, Carolina's capable of winning the first two. Is Florida going to probably have to help them a little bit down there, second game? Yeah, Florida's more talented. But it's not like that game's been a blowout the last two years by any stretch of the imagination. Florida's owned the fourth quarter. South Carolina's won the other six. Um, you know, so I, I think I think the first one's huge because that's going to the fans are going to start thinking ah maybe they can get the five six wins out of a ten game season or whatever. Uh, and, and you always want to beat Tennessee. Tennessee's, in my opinion, annually after Clemson and Georgia, the the, the you know the third most important game every year. Uh, but you really want to get that media momentum going, win the first two. Then you're going to Vanderbilt at 2-0. and And you can win that one and be 3-0 and with Auburn coming to town. Uh, you want to talk about a team that will all of a sudden get more relevance, that will happen. Uh, number two, I remember when we signed Jordan Birch and Eric Kimry commented on how Jordan was a freak athlete and had the best hands on the team. With that being said, would it be done for Carolina to use him with some packages on offense as a tight end? I just don't know about his development on the D-line. I think right now they're going to focus with him on the D-line. Just like they did with Pickens last year, they could have used him at fullback but didn't. Um, I think Jordan is 
you know, has a, 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 enough of a runway there to where they need to keep him on defense uh, for a little while. And, you know, tight end right now, you got so many guys. I mean, you've got a lot of guys that they have to get ready at that position um, to go play. Um, and they're, they're different body types and things like that. But, you know, could they sneak a package in? Something? I don't know. Maybe. It, it's not something anybody's been talking about, but they're, they're not really – if it's a secret, they're not going to really talk about it. Um, Jeremy, thanks for the kind words about the podcast. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, really good questions there. All right, Roger. And this is the final one. Hey, buddy, once again, love the podcast and the Big Spur website. Thanks for all you do and your guys do to keep putting out interesting and informative stories daily. It helps put a bit of normalcy into these trying and difficult times. Uh, And I'll stop right there with a question. I see stuff like this just about every day um, from people that that are thankful for the website or talking about the guarantee, just because it has been a difficult time. And I want you to know that that's the most fulfilling part of my job. This is a dream job for me. I get to cover and talk about the team I grew up loving every single day. Uh, I make decent money at it. You know, I'm not starving, obviously. Probably could lose a few pounds. <laughs> Unfortunately, and, and I was doing really well in that category until the pandemic hit, man. I was down and fit and lean and not anymore. <laughs> but um, I, I want you to know all of you out there that have dropped little notes like that. I see it on Facebook or wherever uh, I get PMs. Um, I appreciate that. I mean, and that, that to me, you know, oh, well, you work in sports, sports are just games. It's not life. It doesn't matter. Well, that, that, that means something to me because I, I think we've built a community, all of us, you know, the fans out there, my staff, myself, uh, that means something in life, you know, uh, and, yeah, it's entertainment, but it, it's also about real life. I mean, our, our message board is named after one of the greatest Gamecock Internet users of all time, Plano. He passed away, the, I think, the day before Will Muschamp's first game as a head coach, and we named our message board after him. And that, that means a lot, you know, because that, that guy is going to live on. The, the memory, his memory, uh, at least, is going to live on uh, for thousands of people. Um and, 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 you know, the internet is such a new thing. Uh, you know, we, we probably are just now getting to the point where things like that will happen. Um, and, and, and we kind of go through life cycles and stuff like that. And, and I want you to know that, you know, saying it helps put a bit of normalcy into these trying and difficult times. Uh, that means more to me than anything. Uh, that means more to me than saying, hey, you're the, the best talent evaluator in the world, or hey, you were so right about this, or hey, you know, you're really good at the podcast, or you're a really good writer. Uh, that stuff means more to me than anything, you know. And I, and I thank God every day that, that at least to, to a, even a small level, uh, that what I do and what we do makes a difference for you guys out there. Um, and he continues on. I, at least it gives us a half hour to hour each day where we can get real life problems out of our minds. So thanks. All right. This may be a question for a slow news info day on the podcast. Plenty of questions out there for the current team and upcoming season and rightfully so, but to go a bit off topic and I enjoy your opinions on this. If you had to pick your all South Carolina first team, who would be your starting 22? Um, maybe narrow it down to players that have suited up since you've been covering the Gamecocks. Uh, I realize this would take a lot of your podcast time, so no problem if you want to skip over it or answer it on a really slow day. All right, the starting 22, I don't have that. I mean, I would have to think because, you know, you get into, like, who's the starting – I mean, the guard. So so do you go with Ike Harris or, or do you go with T.J. – um, uh, not T.J. Johnson. He was a center. Uh, who's the guy that, that – Rokevious Watkins. You know, Ike Harris or Rakevius Watkins? I mean, do you go uh, at tight end? Do you want to go back to Boomer Foster? Or is it Hayden Hurst? Or, or was it the guy like Jared Cook who's been in the league for, for 12 years? Um, you know, I would have to really think on those things. Uh, George Rogers or Marcus Lattimore would make me think, you know, because Marcus to me, although George was the entire team when he played, and I was young during the – I mean, I – my first game was the 79 Hall of Fame Bowl. I was three. I didn't know what I was looking at. I, I hid out under my mom's poncho there in Birmingham because it was raining. Um, but, but you know, Marcus had such an impact. George, I mean, who do you go with? Do you do two? 
you know, uh, punter, uh, you know, Spencer Lanning, uh, you know, do you go with him? Joseph Charlton would be in that conversation, I would think. Uh, I mean, kicker, you know, you can go Colin Mackey, Ryan Suckup, uh, Elliot Fry. I mean, you know, that, that, that would be a difficult, difficult thing. So I'll tell you what I'll do, Roger, since you, you sent such a great email here. Uh, and, and admittedly, I stopped before I read your question. I'll put this together, and during an episode next week, I'll roll it out. Uh, right here exclusively on the podcast. Uh, won't be an article, just uh, just to be right here. And we'll go through it. And then you guys can send me tweets or emails and say, do you disagree or whatever? So we'll have some fun with it. But I, I would I would have to just think on that. I mean, he, he quarterback, quarterback would probably, you know, Connor Shaw is probably the layup there. Um, just because he won more than Tannehill. I mean, to me, it would be Connor, Tannehill, Ellis. After that, Jake Bentley, Stephen Garcia. Uh, but just because, you know, when you're talking about Tannehill, Connor Shaw, Ellis, Todd Ellis, you know, Connor had many more big wins than those guys. Now, Tannehill had some big wins at the time as a newcomer to the SEC and all that, winning the first bowl game and all that. At the time, they were big. Um, Todd kind of had a lot of near misses. There were so many times where, where uh, with Todd Ellis quarterbacking, the Gamecocks would be on the verge of beating somebody and then didn't. Of course, the 88 Georgia game was a huge win before things fell apart for Todd. The 87 Clemson game was gigantic. Um, I thought going up to Clemson in 86 and tying them after, you know, Clemson was 7-2-1 and one coming into that game. Gamecocks were 3-6-1, and one, you know, seven-win team versus a three-win team going up there and tying and almost beating them was tremendous. Um, but, you know, Connor undefeated against Clemson, uh, that went over Georgia, you know, there's just so many as far as the modern era goes. But I'd have to sit there and think about it. I'd have to sit there and think about it. I really would. All right. So, no show tomorrow. Just wanted to point that out to you. We're going we're gonna to take – J.C. is going to take the long weekend and enjoy pro football and, and non-Gamecock football while I'm getting geared up for the nerve-wracking SEC season. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the, the ACC. Uh, <laughs> um, boy, they didn't schedule a whole lot of blockbusters. That way. Now, now, next weekend they got Virginia, Virginia Tech playing. And uh, because Tech moved their opener with NC State back, that's the season opener for Virginia Tech. Those two schools hate each other. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, but enjoy the ACC and, and, and all that and what, whatever you get to watch this weekend. And I'll be back next week. It'll be the week before game day, and we'll have a complete coverage of the scrimmage and all the inside info we have right on Vicksburg.com. And then, of course, we'll keep rolling out. Got to get into some guests probably here in the next couple of weeks where – you know, we're, we're starting to scout opponents. Uh, I've got some Tennessee people in mind that are going to come on and, and, and really uh, – so you won't have to hear me blabbering for the whole hour. All right, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Certainly uh, appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I want you to have a great weekend. We'll holla at you soon.